Welcome to Valley Christian Church. We hope you enjoy this message, and we would love for you to join us on Sunday mornings at 1030. We're located at 432 East Pleasant in Tulare. After listening to this message, take a moment to browse our website for current and upcoming events. It is our prayer that ultimately you learn to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. How would you feel the night before if you knew that you were going to be arrested, beaten, and crucified? How would you feel that night before? And then on top of that, you have the disciples, what, as we've talked about many times. They're sitting there fighting about who's the greatest in the kingdom. And you're just sitting there going, guys, you have no clue. You would say, oh, Father. You would be, you know, irritated. You would be, you know, much more just kind of just frustrated. Well, this prayer that we've sat with over the last few weeks is such a a beautiful expression of the heart of God. Such a, a deep crying out as Jesus talks to his Father. Now, there's many of us that uh, we get into small groups or, or Bible studies or, or prayer groups. And, you know, when they gather around for prayer, you start kind of getting a little nervous. You're, you're afraid to, to pray out loud. And, you know, the Bible says, or the Bible doesn't say that when you pray, you, you need to pray out loud. But oftentimes we'll stay out of situations like that just because we might be called on to pray out loud. Now, if you ever in a prayer time and they circle up, you can do one of three things. You know it's coming. You know it's going to get to you. You can either kind of just say a little quick prayer, which is totally appropriate, or don't say anything, and eventually the person next to you, you know, you kick them or you squeeze their hand or you signify, no, it ain't going to be me. Or you just say amen and everybody will look up. You know, you, you got three different options there. But as we grow in the Lord, we, we start to get over this idea, this nervousness of prayer, and we start to realize that, that, you know, it's not something that others need to hear all the time. Your prayer is to the Father. Stop thinking that our prayers need to be this flowery thing. I mean, I, I grew up with some godly, just godly older men within, you know, within our church, and, and, and their prayers were just something you just went, wow, they can talk to the Father, wow. I mean, you know, they're just like, oh, Heavenly Father. I beseech you today. And they just go on and on. And you're just like going, I could never pray like that. And they're absolutely just beautiful prayers. But prayer is also not about the words. It's really just about communicating with our Savior. And Jesus is modeling this for us. Disciples are listening to this prayer. And, you know, and, and they've heard some of Jesus' prayers. But mostly, what has Jesus done? He's gone away by himself to pray. It's good for us to get together for prayer. But at the same time, it's not good, it's not healthy for us to assume that if you're not in a prayer group, well, then you must not value prayer. Or you don't pray enough. Or the church doesn't pray because this prayer group, you know, it's not good to assume that. In fact, Jesus modeled both ways for us about prayer. Group prayers. He also modeled getting away. He didn't always gather up the guys and say, okay, guys, circle up, let's pray. No, he just prayed. And we start to look at Jesus' prayer. We look at how he prays, who he prays to, and what he praises about. 
Because we want our lives to reflect him. And, and, you know, he prayed about what was literally on his mind. He didn't come up with these things of like, okay, where's my prayer list? And let me go, okay, I've checked this off. I've checked that off. Those are good things. I have a prayer list myself, okay? So I'm not bagging on that. But I'm just saying he also prayed about what was on his mind. And it's very important for us to take those things that are on our mind and go to God with them. We want our lives to reflect who he is in our life. Many times, I don't know about you, but is your mind overloaded? Do you come to a point where you're just like, you're frazzled, you're just kind of like, ah, I can't even get a moment. That's the time that, you know, it's our, our huge signal to cry out, to seek him. And then we come to find out, we start to read, and it says that Jesus, early in the morning, would go seek him. So what do we do as Christians? What do we do as, as Bible-believing? We, we read it. Well, we want to emulate that. So we grab a hold of this and go, I have to go to God early in the morning. And we just, that's, that's, we figured it out. It's early in the morning. That's when I have to do it. And then he comes along and says, in the wee hours of the night, I go to my father. And then we're, we're confused because first he said early in the morning. And then he said wee hours in the night. Which one is it? Anybody get anxious about stuff like that? You know, sometimes we get so bogged down on, oh, we have to do it like this. When God's just sitting there going, I just want to talk to you. I just want you to tell me what is on your mind. And we see this in Jesus' prayer. In fact, in, in John 17, he says, after Jesus said this, he, he looked toward heaven, he looked toward his Father, and he prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you have you have." A, You granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one or the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began." Now, Jesus wasn't born in the same way that we were born. Now, don't get me wrong. Yes, physically he was. Yes, he, he did have a, a mother that, dis, you know, that gave birth to him. And we celebrate this and we call it Christmas. It wasn't the exact same day as December 25th that we celebrated. But that's what we call it. And it's good to celebrate that. But he was also already alive. He was there before the world began. The word became flesh and lived among us for a period of time. In verse 6 it says, I revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. Now the word reveal is a great word here. In the Greek, you know, and how it was used in, in the culture, it means to expose what was previously hidden. In other words, something was hidden, somebody came along, and they opened it up for everybody to see. They revealed it. Jesus is saying, Father, you were hidden to them. As much as they tried to please you, as much as they tried to, to know you, as much as they tried to do everything right in the temple, as much as they searched the scriptures to figure you out, they couldn't do it. And many of them just gave up or started to judge others just because they were trying to get comfortable with who God was. And Jesus came along and blows all that away by revealing who God really is. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. 
Do you know that most people believe that he came? That Jesus Christ was really born. Most people, you ask them, they've done all these surveys, will say, yes, there was a man named Jesus Christ that was born into this world. The difference is, they don't believe in who he really was, who he really is. Jesus says, I've revealed you to them, Father. You know, it's not important that we know that he came. It is important for us to share why he came. That's really two different things, isn't it? Most people believe that he came, but they don't understand the why of, of why he came, of who he is. And their reaction when you start saying, well, let me tell you about why he came is what? Oh, hey, 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 don't, no, 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 no. Wait a second, don't shove that down my throat. Uh, my wife and I, we were in New York, and at a, she was doing a conference, so I went along and I just played. So, you know, traveled around, took some pictures and all that stuff. And, and it kind of an eclectic group, you know, they're all engineers, they're all sitting around a table. And, and they all start talking about, uh, um, I think it was global warming or something like that, environmental stuff. And, and they, you know, we, we, we got a Hindu there. We, I think we even had a Buddhist there. We had a Jewish person there. We had an agnostic there. I mean, it was like the beginning of a bad joke, you know, when you start saying all these, okay. So I'm sitting there going, I'm just keeping my mouth shut. I'm just like going, this, no, I'm just going to stay out of this. And they're all sitting there talking about it. And finally, one of the guys, and I, I totally respect him. He doesn't believe what I believe, but he's a friend. And a J, his name is a J. He, he turned around and he goes, so what do you think, Alan? And I go, well, he goes, so what do you think? Being a pastor, what do you think, Alan? And I go, well, and I'm not joking. A person sitting there at the table goes, hey, no, 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 no. We're not going to get into all that. And I'm like, I said the word, well. We've had a 20-minute discussion. As soon as a pastor speaks up, well, you're shoving it down our throat. That's what the world thinks. The world says to us, don't talk about two things, politics and religions, uh, and religion. Don't bring them up unless they come up. And when they do come up, avoid the politics and talk about Christ. Now, don't talk about religion. Just tell them why Jesus came. One of the reasons he came was because too many get messed up talking about religion. The religious guys did not like him. The religious guys did not like Jesus at all. So why did Jesus come? Three words. And if you're taking notes, get ready. Easy to remember. First off, Jesus came to offer himself as a sacrifice. It's an easy word to remember, sacrifice. Say it with me, sacrifice. Okay, that was lame. Come on, guys. Say it with me, sacrifice. Very good. I knew you could do it. Jesus came to offer himself as a forgiving and an atoning God. Now, if you ever use the word atoning around non-church people, you need to explain that word. Because that's one of those churchy words that, that, that we love to come up with. And we, love, and we act like everybody knows what they mean. But if you're not from church, you don't know what that word means. Atoning means covering. It means the sins are forgiven. It is the Jewish, Jewish word kippur, as in Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Jesus came to be the Jewish Kippur, but also the Gentile 
Kippur. He came to atone, the atoning one. Now, some people believe that this is the only reason he came. Well, if that were the case, he could have came and in 72 hours been arrested, been crucified, raised from the dead, and then go back to heaven. That's all he needed to do. But apparently he had other reasons why he came or he wouldn't have spent 33 years here on this earth. So the first reason he came was sacrifice. The second reason was to demonstrate. Sacrifice and demonstrate. To demonstrate to us how we're supposed to be acting. The level of what we look at and say, okay, that's how I want to be. I'm working on that. I'm a work in progress. I'm not perfect. I understand that. You have sin. I have sin. We're working toward that goal. To demonstrate that living without sin is a good thing. It's a really good thing for our lives. From birth to death, he was sinless. He dealt with being single. He dealt with being a young man. He dealt with family members. That's always a fun one, isn't it? Especially when they disagree with you because here you have a brother and you're calling yourself God and he's going, oh great, you're perfect. Mom always loves you. Imagine the family squabbles there. All these things in your life and my life, he has dealt with. But the amazing thing is, he's not going to throw it in our face. Whoa, Alan, <laughs> I did better than you. Look at you. Look at your life. I would have I made a different choice there. He doesn't do that. Jesus lived it out so we could think, what would Jesus do in this situation? You know, the old bracelets, you know, back in, you know, 96, 97, WWJD, everybody was wearing them. They were the big fad. What would Jesus do? But literally, he came and lived so we could look and say, what would Jesus do in this situation? How would Jesus handle this? Sometimes Jesus was, was very nice and just friendly as all get out. So we grab a hold of that and think, well, as Christians, I can never get upset. Jesus was nice. I have to be nice. And the world almost does that to us, right? You, you're a Christian. You, you need to be nice about this. Heaven forbid if you got upset. Here are your rules that you need to follow. He was nice. But there were other times when he would stand alone and say, let me tell you the truth here. This is truth. And what you're doing is not truth. A parent is supposed to be nice, Right? You're supposed to love your children. Sometimes you get upset with your children. Sometimes you tell them no. You're not supposed to say no. You're a Christian. Well, you don't allow your children to run out in front of the road. I mean, I mean, how many times has that old adage been used? But it's true. The same thing with our Heavenly Father. Sometimes he got upset and said, no, that's not right. He even did this when his disciples came to him and said, look, man, you need to cool it. They're going to get mad at you. You can't do this. And he goes, truth is truth. It's important for us to understand that he came to sacrifice. And he also came to demonstrate. Thirdly, Jesus came to expose us to the Father, to reveal him. Some people don't like the word exposed. Use the word reveal. Jesus came as a sacrifice in order to demonstrate to what the Father is to reveal the Father to the world. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that 
whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Even though the world does not think so. Not just to us because we're just so special churchy people. Oh, we're just, you know, we, we come on Sundays. So therefore he came for us. No, not just that. The world is wrong about the Father. The world is wrong about Jesus. So what do we do? We go, let me tell you about Jesus. And we put it right back in their face. We need to learn how to wrap the gift of Jesus in a way that the world sees it as a true gift. We need to be careful how, how, time, you know, how we get on our high horse or go stand on the corner and, and, and just, well, we're preaching it, brother. Growing up in the South, just preach it, brother. And many people did, and it turned so many people off because we're not wrapping the gift like it's a gift that you would want to pick up. It's like, no, leave that one under the tree. I don't know what that is. Uh-uh. That, no, mm, not even wrapped well. Doesn't even have a bow on it. Have you ever felt like something was shoved down your throat? What's your natural reaction when something is shoved down your throat? You resist it. It's the same way with the world to who Christ is when we try to shove it down people's throat. You're God's gift. Look at each other and say, you are God's gift. You are. You are God's gift. When you look at everything that Jesus did, when you look at everything that Jesus said, everything that Jesus talked about, he came for three reasons. One, he offered himself up as what? Sacrifice. So he came to what? Demonstrate how we should live our life in order that what? To reveal the Father to us. This is why he came. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, you yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everybody. Known and read by everybody. You are God's letter. Think about that one for a second. You show that you, you, show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not, on, uh, not with ink, but with the, whole, the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. He also later on says, Let, let light shine out of the darkness made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in the jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is not or is from God and not from us. This is what the world needs and this is what the world is hoping for. The world is not just hoping somebody gets it. They're hoping that somebody really, I mean really, understands it and gets it. That they can be shown the truth path. The world is searching. They may not be out there having a neon sign saying, I'm searching. But you know they are. Because what do they go to when they don't find it? They go to worldly things. And of course, we always think drinking, smoking, all the, you know, we always think of those things. But they go to so many different worldly things to try to go, I need some joy in my life, and I'm trying to fill it with something. My dad used to be a smoker. He stopped smoking. What did he fill his hand with? Food. So he started eating. The world is looking for something. 
And when they don't get it in one thing, they search for it another way. They are seeking. Show them that joy. Show them that true path. A friend of mine called me this week. Uh, he was over at somebody's house, and he does a business where he goes to people's homes all the time. And he looks at his job as a ministry. And he's at his job, and he's doing all this stuff. And he, he starts talking to this guy and finds out this guy's been going to another church. And, and you know, he, he's really been enjoying it, but he just doesn't quite get it. And, it's, and it, you know, this, this guy was, was talking with him and kept going back and forth and started talking about Christ. And he goes, well, have you, have you ever accepted Christ? And he goes, no, not really. And then he keeps working for a while and they talk a little bit and he keeps working and finally a couple hours, I'm not joking, a couple hours later, the guy comes back and he goes, I just think somebody needs to just show me the way. I mean, is that not a neon sign for you? You know, now what's really cool is this friend is going to bring this person next Sunday to church here because they live in Tulare and he's sitting there thinking it'd be good for that person to go to a church. He goes, you can come to my church. He goes, there's several other churches. If you're involved in the church you're going with, stay there. But the guy's like, I'm not really involved. He goes, well, let me take you over to this person's church. You're going to like it here. And that is so cool to be the one to share the glory of God with another person while you're working of all places. Don't worry about the correct words. Just show them your life. And not just the good parts. Show them what God is taking you through in this life. We all have negative things about our life. But we can all look as, as, as the Lord deals with those things in our lives. Sometimes it takes, man, you know, a week to deal with that. Sometimes it takes a couple of months. Sometimes it takes years for God to deal with something in our life. And that's okay. As long as God is dealing with it and you're allowing them to deal with it. Show them what God is taking you through. And how that joy has changed you. Well, Pastor Alan, I, I don't really feel joyful. Well, maybe you're not allowing God to change who you are. If you're not feeling that much joy in your life, maybe you should go and, and say, Lord, I need more joy. Help me deal with these issues so I can feel like you are my heavenly father. So I can walk out of here going, no matter what's going on in my life at this point, I know where I'm going. When I die. So therefore, I can have joy in my life. Challenge him. Tell him. And you'll be surprised at what he will do. And you will be changed from the inside out. The jokes you tell, the things you think, the things you consume, the the things you watch, everything. Be willing to be changed. You are a treasure, as Paul says. Don't hide that treasure. Don't let it be a pirate's treasure. Don't let it be buried somewhere. It's something to be shared to other, you know, to other people. You don't have to go out with a megaphone, as we've already talked about. You, know, you don't have to you know, bring them in here, you know, I'm just going to be loud enough, and if I'm loud enough, they'll hear me. But go out there with Jesus in your heart. I mean, really really, truly, in your heart. And you will discover what it really means to be a witness for God. Now, one of the worst things, and in some ways I think it's good, in some ways I think it's the worst thing that the church has done, is put everything into cookie-cutter ways. Here's the five ways to bring somebody to Christ. And you, you, the cookie cutter, and, you, and then you're, you're kind of thinking, well, I, oh, I'm not very good at that, so therefore I can't do that. 
Many of those ways are good. But the basis of all of that is showing them your life and how Jesus Christ made a difference to you. How Jesus Christ made a difference in how you, live, you, know, how you think, how you live long term. And we stop thinking about the short term. Jesus picked some very interesting people to start his ministry out with, wouldn't you think? I mean, you think about the disciples. Now, I would say that Jesus has some very interesting people in this church today, right? Just look at me, I'm very interesting. We're all the same. Jesus came to sacrifice. Jesus came to demonstrate how life should be lived. Jesus came to reveal God, the Father, to the people. This is why it's so important when we read in like verse 14, it says here, I have given them your word and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. Did you notice that they... The world hated them after they got the word, not before they got the word. Little did they know that Jesus would really spoil the world for them in a way. Because before you could do anything you wanted and you didn't have to feel guilty about it. Why? There's no rules. You make your own rules. We look at rules as negative. But sometimes those rules are actually very good because they impact our lives in a way that shows his love coming out of us. That prevents us from getting into situations that we shouldn't be in. Now, he can help us get out of those situations, but he would much prefer we not get in those situations to begin with. For those parents out there, those dads out there on Father's Day, you think back, man, if my child just wouldn't have made this one decision, oh, would it have changed everything? I mean, we can all think that way. He wants to prevent us from going certain, uh, certain ways. Did you know that when you really get to know Jesus, it changes you so much that some people who you used to be able to relate with so well, it now becomes a struggle. They show up, you're hanging out, and you, just, you don't know what to talk about anymore. When we focus on Jesus, it changes our attitudes, our actions, what comes out of our mouth, how I spend my money, how I spend my time, my goals. It changes everything. See, the Lord is calling us to go deeper, deeper into our relationships with Him. Well, how do I get there? Well, first off, we need to start talking to Him more. Now, you notice I didn't say the word prayer because the word, as soon as you say the word prayer, you get a certain connotation in your head and you run half the time. He just wants you to talk with Him. We get so focused on how we say prayer when he would just be happy if we would just talk. Fellowship with him. Well, how do I do that? By fellowshipping with each other. The more we become like him, the the better off we are. You know, what's a surefire way of not knowing what's going on? Don't fellowship. Don't be around. Don't serve. Don't hang out. Don't go to lunch with other people. Don't call somebody up and say, let's hang out. Those are ways not to be in fellowship. Thirdly, we need to serve. We need to serve him. Sometimes that's in the church. There's plenty of places around here. I mean, these guys that did VBS this week, I mean, all these decorations and stuff. It was hilarious watching the guys paint the signs. They were out there, oh, this would be so cool to see. And one person, I like their sign better than my sign. I mean, it was just, it was fun. Sometimes he wants us to serve outside the church. 
serving in the community. Sometimes he wants us to serve him right in the job that we have. And we're sitting there going, oh, why do I have this job? And he's sitting there going, hello, I got you there for a reason. So-and-so needs to hear about me. The Lord is calling us to go deeper. So we talk with him first. And then we fellowship with those that are like-minded. And then we go out there and we serve and we show others this wonderful gift that he has for the world. So in verse 14, he said, he has given us his word. In verse 17, it says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. It didn't say the word contains truth. It says, your word is truth. It's powerful truth. And then in verse 18, it says, as you sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be fully or truly sanctified. Now, did you hear another key word as we've the last several weeks been going through this chapter and picking up on certain key words? It was a key word there, sanctify. It's a great church word. Good Southern Baptist preacher, you know, are you sanctified, brother? It's a great church word. And again, this is one of those words that if you're out there in the world, you need to explain to them. It usually, it, it can really mean three or four different things. Sanctify means to wash or purify. To purify, to kill germs. You know, many of you, you know, Perel now, especially, you know, the last few years have been using Perel. To purify, it purifies the germs. Sanctify is, I'm washing with your word. I'm sanctifying people with the truth. This is why it's so important that every time we meet, we crack the word. We, we open that Bible. And I love that, that we have the words up here on the screens. And it's, it's good to have the words up on screen because, you know, some people it's easier to, to follow that way. But I think it's also important for you to have your own Bible and to crack that word, that, to open it up, to divide the word, to, to read it. It's very important for you to own the, your own Bible. In fact, if you don't have one, talk to me. I'll buy you one. I'll even get your name printed. I'll get you a nice leather one. It's that important. For you to have one yourself, to open it up. We just can't be Sunday hand washers only. What if you only washed yourself on Sundays? You know, you get up in the morning, most people take a bath or, you know, every day. Now by Thursday, if you didn't shower all week, would people want to shake your hand? Would people want to be around you? Well, let's translate that into God's word. Sanctify, to wash, to purify. If we're only in the word on Sunday, by Thursday, what's coming out of us? Do we stink to high heavens? We need to open the word. Now, the word sanctify also means to set aside. Not in the sense of of being benched, like... (laughs) Oh, you're not pitching very well today. You're, you're benched. Get on the bench. Not that. But to put aside to protect for, for like a purpose. Like, like they did in the holy temples. Certain things were, were made and they were put aside and protected because they were only used for this particular thing. It has a specific purpose. And Jesus is saying, sanctify them. Who's them? You and I, it's us. They're the holy vessel. Who, me? 
I'm a holy vessel? Yes. <laughs> Lord, I don't feel very holy. You're sanctified. You're put aside for a holy purpose. It's another reason why we should handle each other with care. You are a holy vessel. Don't disregard each other as non-holy vessels and just throw us under the bus or put us aside or just cast us off. We are holy vessels. Treat each other that way. They would ceremonially wash these vessels. And then it would be sanctified for use in the temple. Jesus is saying, Father, through them, or through me, make them kosher. Make them holy. Set them apart. Use the truth to set them apart. The truth sets us apart. Either something is truth or it's not. As much as we are to be tolerant, two conflicting truths is not truth. Truth sets us apart. And Jesus is saying, Father, let the word establish their truth. Did you know that all the surveys out there say that 90% of Americans own a Bible? Now, two-thirds of them say it holds the answer to life's questions. Now, unfortunately, the problem is they believe it holds the answers, but no one is reading it. Did you know that fewer than half Americans can really name the first book of the Bible? Gallup did a survey. So what is it? What's the first book of the Bible? Genesis. Only a third of Americans know who delivered the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus did in Matthew 5. The most controversial teaching ever given. Go and read it. It's pretty controversial, especially for religious people. Because we get our rules set, we get our ideas set. And then you go read the Sermon on the Mount and you kind of get blown away. Most you know, a lot of people think that Billy Graham preached the Sermon on the Mount. Gallup did a survey, and a third of Americans believe that Billy Graham gave the Sermon on the Mount. A quarter of America doesn't know what is celebrated on Easter. George Gallup says, we revere the Bible. We just don't read it. We revere it. We just don't read it. Now, I'm not saying this to make you feel guilty. But according to Gallup, 12% of Christians think Noah's, ark, or Noah's wife was Joan of Arc. <laughs> you laugh, but 80% of Christians believe that the Bible says God helps those who help themselves. Do you know who really said that? Benjamin Franklin. Not a bad thought, just not in the Bible. In order for us to know what we should be sharing, we need to have read it at least once. If you're a person who drives a lot, get it on CD, put it in your car. But we need to read his word. It's important. If you call yourself a good biblical Christian, you need at least to have read the manual. Well, I'm not really a manual type of guy. I don't even know how to operate the DVD player. 
No, just, just please spoon feed me. Just give me your notes. I'm a movie type of person. Could you just put it in a movie for me? Jesus says, I've given them your word and the word is truth. Sanctify them. Change them. Make them noticeably different. And this is what the Spirit of God does in our life. It is trying to do. And some parts, you know, it's, it's going, the Lord's sitting and going, okay, good. I, I'm changing Alan in this part. And in the other parts, the Holy Spirit's going back to God going, I'm working on him on this one. Oh, man, this one's hard. I'm working on it. See, holiness is not what you don't do. There are some things that you don't do because Jesus is telling you, stop doing that. You're killing your body if you keep doing that. You're killing your relationships if you keep doing that. You're not becoming a better person if you keep doing that. You're compromising. And if you allow the the Spirit to cleanse you, then you'll stop doing those things. But really, what holiness is, it's more about what you actually do compared to what you don't do. Holiness is much deeper being sanctified, you know, with God means that every, you know, that, that I spend time with Him. Every day I go to Him. Well, you're the pastor. That's what you do for a living. You know, some of us have jobs. I know, I know. I have an easy life. Sundays and payday. I know. See, God is calling you to a daily biblical relationship with Him. That's why in the, in the bulletin, if you notice on the back, we, we have Bible readings. We want you to read the Bible. Some people need a, a guide. Some other people say, no, I'm just going to stick with this book for a while, and then I'll jump to that book. Whichever way works for you is good for you. We're just trying to give you opportunities. This is why in our Bible studies, we open up into the Word. So important. You know, it is amazing to me. Reading the Word of God is so much more, so much more than just setting down and reading it. It cleanses us. It builds us up. It gives us the right tools for our life. It realigns our whole perspective on things. Because in this world, no matter how you were brought up, there's certain perspectives that we have, and then we start reading His Word, we start understanding what truth is, and we start going, wow, I believed this for all these years, and now I understand I should think differently because the truth tells me that what I believed was not correct. Too often we use the wrong tool or we use it the wrong way. And it's not very pretty. One one time I was at a church and I was building my own office. And I I might have mentioned this before, but I, I I had a chisel in my hand. Now a chisel is something that has a, a back end that you can hammer with and you're supposed to hold the chisel by the handle and take the hammer and whack it and it would chisel off. It would break off whatever you had. Well, this was a brand new chisel. And I was trying to manipulate a piece of wood into a particular place and it wasn't going and I needed to chisel something off. And what did I, I picked up the piece of wood and I grabbed the handle and I started working with it. A very sharp brand new chisel. It didn't take me a couple of minutes before that chisel slipped right through that piece of wood because it's really sharp. And did I mention it's really sharp? And I hit my thumb. It went all the way down to the bone. 
So me being an athletic trainer, been around that stuff, it doesn't bother me. I just like clamp it up and I go over to our children's ministry person. Uh, went over to Carolyn. I go, Carolyn, do we have any butterfly strips? And she goes, why? I go, because of this. And she goes, ah, and freaks out. But so often we use the sharp tool, the sharp word of God, and we use it in the wrong way. So important for us to use it in the right way with love and understanding and grace. Jesus is saying, Father, I'm leaving these guys in 12 hours. Give them the right tools to not only survive, but to have joy in knowing where they're headed in this life and also the life to come. That's what it's about. That's the prayer that Jesus has for us. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as I use your tools, that I use it in the right way. That if we ever incorrectly use your word, your truth, that you would tell us, bring somebody along and say, I think you use that wrong. That we would have enough grace to think about it. But more important than that, Lord, I pray that we go out there and use the tool correctly to this world that needs to see you, that needs you to be revealed to them in their life. The world is searching for truth, Lord, and you are that truth. And I pray by your spirit that you allow us to show that to this world. That as your glory went to your son, that your son gave us that same glory so we can reveal you that we can be used. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. The glory that he has, may it reflect off of you and into this world. May his face never turn from you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.